Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to Sunday morning here at Essex Church, where this community of Kensington Unitarians has its spiritual home. We're a community created by all who walk through our doors, and all are welcome to join us. Be you male or female, old, young, or somewhere in between, Whatever your skin colour or ethnicity or country of origin, be you gay or straight or any of the multitudinous other ways that us human beings describe ourselves and one another, whoever you are, however you are, you're welcome here in this community. A community that encourages you to be yourself, a community that accepts you all as you are. And if you're a visitor here today or a a visitor from far afield or an old friend, please feel especially welcomed and uh, to let you know that we serve tea and coffee after the service and that's a nice way to meet people. Um, There's also a space towards the end of the service where we invite visitors, if you wish, to say a few words to introduce yourself. So today we're going to celebrate a flower communion together. You may have brought a flower or there are flowers there at back for you to choose one. And um, the bowl on this central table represents our church community. We're the flowers, each of us. So if you haven't done already, perhaps during our first hymn, you could add your flower to the bowl and uh, take part in this. A light such as this one is lit in many Unitarian, Unitarian Universalist communities around the world. It's a simple flame, but it connects us one with all. It's got a proud heritage, and it reminds us that there are issues in life worth standing up for, that justice and liberty might be available to all the world over. I've told this story that I'm going to tell now many times, and you'll have heard it many times before. And depending on who's around... Oh, thank you, Caroline. Appreciate that. There are times when you can really rough this story up, but our world seems so troubled at the moment, I'm not going to play at that at all. But just to tell you that this story begins in violence with a lonely traveller on a road being attacked and left half dead with all his possessions gone. And so it is that he could have died by the side of that road in case, in fact, he very nearly did. And he thought... He was about to take his last breath when he heard the sound of another traveller and hoped for rescue. But when that traveller came along the road, a priest he was, he saw that bloodied body and knew that he would be ritually defiled if he touched that man's blood. And he was busy. He was off to work in the temple and he had no time. He crossed over the other side of the road Troubled, it's true, by what he'd seen, but he went off to work. And then, remarkably, another traveller on that lonely road, a Levite, a 
again, a worker in the temple. But he would not have been ritually defiled if he touched that body, but he was scared, as most of us would be, I think, to find an attacked person on the road. And so he, too, crossed to the other side of the road. And so it was that that traveller felt that his end was close. Until along came the good toucan, famed in the world of storytelling. You might know him as the good Samaritan. Samaritans, gorgeous though they may be, are reviled in that world. They are hated. They, nobody would touch them. And you might think that a hated person would not want to have anything to do with trouble. Hmm. But oh no, we all know the story, don't we? That actually that good toucan, that Samaritan, stopped that day and tended the nearly dead man. And once his wounds were bound up, he took him to a local inn. And there he paid for his food and lodgings and asked the innkeeper to look after him until he was well enough to travel. And you might also remember why the story was told, that that day Jesus had been asked, as he so often was, a trick question. He was asked, yeah, well, who is my neighbour? And the answer came through the good toucan or the good Samaritan story. Our neighbours are those who show mercy to us. And I'm going to ask you now to take that idea of showing mercy and the effect that that has on our society as we join in a responsive reading together. It's on your sheet today. It's written by a minister called Sarah York. And if we very roughly perhaps say that this side of the room is an A and this side of the room is a B and that I warn you that A's and B's have two lines together so it's one of those ones you have to concentrate on. Let's speak of love casting out fear. In fear we isolate ourselves. In love we connect with others. In fear, we become immobilized. In love, we are empowered to act. In fear, we judge others. In love, we seek justice. In fear, we In love, we trust. In fear, we seek punishment. In love, we see life. In fear, we retreat. In love, Let us respond to our times with love. Let us reach out. Let us all reach out in love. Let's take that now into a time of prayer and reflection. As I call on the divine spirit of life and of love to be with us now and to bless all that we say and do together here today. For many people, both within this community and in the wider world, this has not been an easy few weeks. We think in loving sympathy of all those we know of for whom life is a struggle. And we know in our own hearts our own struggles and challenges. 
Let us think of ourselves with kindness and accept the times in this last week when we have been less than we would want to be. In order to survive, we humans build walls and create boundaries, both in our own lives and in the lives of our communities. Such boundaries help us to feel protected and yet they also separate us from others. They create divisions. So may all such walls be temporary and movable, with gaps for us to look through, openings that allow us to perceive realities other than our own. When we think we know the truth, may we remember that it is only our truth, true from our perspective. May we be ever aware that there is more to this existence than we can ever know and be therefore more curious and gentle travellers on the paths of life. And may this day be made a little brighter and lighter because we exist. And may this be so for the greater good of all. Amen. Right, this reading is called, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not called, excuse me, it's called The Truck Driver by Gordon B. McKeeman. The other day, I was driving on a motorway. These days, motorway driving seems a frantic enterprise. Near one of the exit roads, one of the highway denizens, a giant of a truck had pulled over onto the hard shoulder. The driver had emerged and was gathering some wild plants along the side of the road. In that moment, another stereotype bit the dust. I know what truck drivers are like. They're strong, burly, masters of profanity, rootless gypsies who have neither homes nor families. They care not a whit for sunsets, mountain peaks, seashores or wildflowers. But now I have seen one take the time to stop and look carefully at the splendour by the roadside. Now I've been by that spot numerous times. Not once did I take the time or trouble to stop and look at the miracles of leaf and flower. Goodbye, shattered image. I think I shall not miss you at all. You were, it should be said, quite convenient. You allowed me the luxury of not having to think of truck drivers as real people, as varied as the vast diversity of wild flowers. Stereotypic thinking does not impart solidity or dimensionality to an object. Quite the opposite. It dispenses with the details and eliminates the idiosyncrasies of individuals by making them members of a class of things, all of which have identical characteristics. Well, all truck drivers do have a common characteristics. They drive trucks. That may exhaust the list of characteristics they share. There's one of them, at least, who notices what is growing besides the road. Quite a feat, actually, at 70 miles an hour. As the number of people inhabiting our little globe grows, so, I suppose, will the temptation to group people into classes, apply labels to them, and mistake the label for the far more complex reality. Perhaps the image of the truck driver stopping to gather wildflowers by the side of the road can be a reminder of how perilous, how depersonalising, how diminishing such stereotypes can be. 
I've had a number of stereotypes pasted on me. As I pause to think about them, I like my own name better than any one of them. Now, I have a hunch that others like their names as well, far better than a label and far, far better than a number. The struggle to maintain a sense of importance for each of us may be long and often difficult. The challenge is quite extraordinary every ordinary day. Um, Today's service has all been leading up to a simple ritual known as the Flower Communion. It's an annual event in many Unitarian and Unitarian Universalist communities around the world. And in particular this morning I'm thinking of our congregation in Prague in the Czech Republic because it was that congregation that first held such a communion in the 1930s, devised by their minister Norbert Čapek. Chabot wrote this about the meaning of his communion. For us in our Unitarian Brotherhood, the vase is our church organisation and we need it to help us share the beauties and also the responsibilities of communal life. In the proper community, by giving the best that is in us for the common good, we grow up and are able to do what no single person is able to do. Each of us needs to receive in order to grow up but each of us also needs to give something away for the same reason. Words from Norbert Chapek. At the close of the service, each member was to leave with a different flower from the one that they brought, taking it, as Chapek said, just as it comes, without making any distinction where it came from and whom it represents, as a public confession that they accepted each other as brothers and sisters without regard to class, race or any other distinction, Acknowledging everybody as our friend who is a human and wants to be good. Now, in last year's service, I spoke a lot about Norbert Chapek and his important work, his cruel death at the hands of the Nazis, his crime, if you remember, listening to the BBC on a radio brought for him by his congregation. If you don't know the story of his life, it's worth finding in a book or on the internet. But today, I'd rather briefly want to link this ritual and its message with events in our own society here in Britain, indeed here in London. Following the murder of soldier Lee Rigby on the street in Woolwich, there is now apparently a tenfold increase in attacks on Muslims. And this week, a Somali education and community centre in Muswell Hill has been burnt down by who we don't yet know. There is a time and a place to focus upon the rage and despair that leads to all such violent actions. And there's a time and a place to acknowledge that periodically throughout recorded history there have been times when individuals and groups sought to destroy all that seems decent and humane in a society. I think as well there needs too to be a time and a place to acknowledge the quiet people who remind us of our humanity the good Samaritans of this world, the people who do what needs to be done in the face of atrocity. When Lee Rigby was so cruelly attacked and killed on the 22nd of May, out of all the fear and the shock of this dreadful act of violence, it was the actions of three women, two of whom asked the attackers if they could sit with the dying man, and the third who spoke to those men, and I think helped to calm a situation of such distress. 
We can't stop bad things happening. And the complex issue that we as a society have to deal with is the people who don't want this to be a pleasant and humane society. We can't stop those bad things happening, but we can perhaps be part of the rebalancing that reasserts the kind of society we intend to live in. A rebalancing that reaches out to communities and individuals different from us and that stops a downward spiral towards division, fear and hatred. I think this is the time to acknowledge that ordinary people like us can and will make a difference. And it's in that spirit of inclusivity that I think we can focus our intention and our goodwill on this so simple flower communion ceremony that its message might shine out to our world. And so it is in that spirit that I now bless this collection of flowers here together in one container. And in doing this, I recognise the unique contribution that each of you brings to our society in which we live and to the groups to which you belong. Let us give thanks for the wondrous spark of individuality that makes each of us who we are. Let's be grateful for ourselves. However fragile we sometimes feel, however flawed we know ourselves to be. And let's give thanks for one another, the intriguing, irritating, glorious, sometimes frightening or exasperating folk who share our planet Earth home with us. And let's give thanks for communities like this. And there are so many throughout our world where ordinary people gather together and do their best. Here is Dr. Chapek's flower communion prayer. In the name of providence, which implants in the seed the future of the tree, and in the hearts of women and men the longing for people living in human love, in the name of the highest, in whom we move and who makes the mother and father, the brother and sister, what they are, in the name of all sages and great religious leaders, some of whom sacrifice their lives to hasten the coming of peace and justice. Let us renew our resolution, sincerely to be real brothers and sisters, regardless of any kind of bar which estranges one from another. And in this holy resolution may we be strengthened, knowing that we are God's community, that one spirit, the spirit of love, unites us, that we might endeavour to create a more joyful life for all. Amen. And so it is, as music plays now, I invite you, in silence and in your own time, to come out and to silently choose another flower to take home with you, or perhaps to give to a stranger on the street. You bring your meaning to this simple blossom.
How lovely. And if by any chance you didn't get a flower, there were more than enough, so do make sure you take one home with you. They're for you. Ralph Waldo Emerson described a flower as the earth laughing. In this flowering season, when all around we see nature's beauty displayed before us, may we appreciate the sheer exuberance both of the natural world and of human nature, both of which continually surprises. Amen. Go well and blessed be.